0: You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, also known as your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me, and we get into the journey of their life, not just their most recent accomplishments and what they're up to right now. I like to get into the journey because I feel so often in our life, we are chasing these feelings of being enough, of being worthy, of being successful, of being lovable, putting those things outside of us. Once I have this, do this, be this, then I'll feel it. And I believe those are things that we can claim right now in this moment. Claim your joy, claim your worth, claim your value, claim you are successful right now. And that's why I love exploring people's journeys and showing you the twists and turns and that not, not everybody else just has it all figured out and everything's working out. Enjoy your life and show up for it every day while you're working for that big stuff and just enjoy the little stuff. On today's episode, I have Tracy Stanley. Loved getting into her journey. I totally didn't know. <laughs> I only knew, yeah, like the back half. Um, and so, love, love, love getting into her journey and learning about what inspired her book that is coming out soon called Radiant Rest. Oh my gosh, doesn't that just feel amazing? Radiant Rest. Uh, she also gives a discount code in the episode, and, and I'll share it at the end. Well, actually, it's RR30 is the discount code to get 30% off her book um, at Shambhala.com. I will put the link in the show notes to check that out. And um, let's just get right into the episode. All right. So yeah, I like starting with uh, what was life like for you growing up and especially like high school ages, because I feel like that's where we start to feel this pressure of like, What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Uh, You know, and we might feel pressure, like I should go to college. Or maybe, you know, like you had this dream that you were going to be whatever it is. So what was that time like for you?
1: That's a really great question. So um, my high school years were filled with a lot of bullying and a lot of um, being small, making myself invisible so that I couldn't uh, be hurt or harmed. And really um, having friends in every single group. Um, so, you know, there, it, I didn't have like a clique, you know, how it is in high school where you've got a clique. I had friends in many different cliques, but I didn't feel as though I belonged or was accepted into any of those um, places. And also my parents were very strict. So I wasn't allowed to do a lot of the socializing um, that other kids were doing, like going to parties and chatting on the phone and doing all the things.
0: So how did you how did you get through that time? Because it I mean, it seems like, yeah, if you're even it's like, OK, if you're making friends, but then if you also have these rules from your parents, like it almost feels like, in, you know, in, in, in many areas, maybe not all, but like these like sort of like blockades are coming up right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I learned to be a very good observer and a very good listener. So I would listen to the stories that my friends would tell me, you know, from the weekends of whatever happened at whatever party and whatever thing. And, um, you know, whatever issues and problems that they were having, I would listen to. And at the same time, um, I decided that I wasn't going to try to belong, right? And so that I would find my own way um, without needing to belong. And the good thing was, is that because my parents were so strict, I was able to be alone at home and reading, which was like the thing that I love to do. So in a way, it kind of protected me from Further bullying outside of like the school hours um, and further any kind of like social awkwardness because I wasn't allowed to go out. (laughs) Got it. So it's
0: sort of like an excuse that worked for you. Like you maybe felt uncomfortable and wouldn't have wanted to be in those places and those parties that they're telling you about But you don't really even get a choice. Like, oh, sorry, I can't go. I my parents are just so strict, and it was real. You're not like lying, but and so were you. So you were content at home doing your own thing.
1: Well, I, you know, I I got used to it. It was one of those things where you didn't really have a choice. So so you you choose what is. (laughs) Yeah. So I found the things that were interesting to me, which was reading and learning and, um. Those were the things that I like to do. So were then you were you just like waiting to get out of
0: high school and move on to what was next?
1: Everybody always asks that question.
0: So <laughs> I was I'm like, and I, I didn't have that type of experience. But I was like, I just all, I was like, this, this is all just be like, every, yeah, it just felt terrible to me, like the things that people were gossiping about and putting each other against each other and stuff.
1: Well, you know, for me, it was, there wasn't a choice in my mind, at least I didn't realize right away because I was um, younger than most of the kids that I was graduating with because I um, skipped a grade. And so the idea of me leaving home to go to school or to go do anything, like to actually move out of the house was not even in the realm of of reason, of reality. Um, It was really something that I dreamt about, like, oh, in the future, you know, I have these friends that I knew at the time who were from where I grew up, but they were going to school in New York City. And I would love to go and, you know, see them in New York City and maybe live in New York City one day. Um, And then eventually I started taking more um, liberties. So
0: then, yeah. So what did you though, when you graduated high school, were you destined, like I am going to
1: college. You just
0: weren't like moving. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, get me out of here or the city.
1: I was was planning on going to school and I was not allowed to choose a college that was an away college. I needed to choose a college that was somewhere where I could either drive to, or I could take the train to. Um, and so that was kind of what I was doing, uh, in school. And I was also working at the same time. Um, and kind of in first semester, I got scouted by a modeling agency. And by that time I had already been like, well, wait a second, I'm working, I'm going to school, I'm, you know, doing all these things. I could probably pay for my own apartment, so that kind of had already started to bubble up uh, in my psyche uh, by the time I was scouted. And then, within uh, a short amount of time, I found myself um, in New York, and then going to Paris.
0: And how was that for your parents? Because that seems, with them being very strict and like wanting you to be at home, and then suddenly, see. Them. They-
1: yeah they they didn't like that at all um but it was a way for me to get out and travel which is something that I as a family we did often was that we would travel together so I had a love of traveling already um but you know it was one of those things where it's kind of like oh if you go and do this you're on your own don't 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 ask for any help and in my mind, I was like, I'm not going to ask for any help. I'm going to go and do what I need to do to make, to make it in the world.
0: Yeah. And when you, when you were going to go to college, like, did you have some big dream of like, I'm going to college to be this or it's just like, this is the next step.
1: You go to high school. No, I had a very clear uh, intention that I wanted to be a lawyer. Oh, OK.
0: But then when the modeling opportunity came up, it was just felt probably like, I can't pass this up.
1: Well, I wasn't going to pass up people paying me to go live uh, in Europe or do whatever in other countries. Um, so that was, uh, the first thing. And because I was much younger than everybody, it didn't seem like I was losing time. It was one of those things where I felt like, okay, I'm going to go and do this. I'll explore, I'll save some money. I'll, you know, get my own apartment at some point in, in the city. Cause I didn't know what that path of you know, modeling was going to be. Um, and then, you know, I'll come back, take my LSATs, and do the thing. Got it. So you were just like, I've,
0: been, I sort of have a free year since I missed school or skipped a grade. So I'll just take this. And what was that experience like modeling? Well,
1: that experience, uh, was actually filled with a lot of grace because you can imagine that if someone is really sheltered and their parents keep them protected from everything, you really don't know a lot about the world and about people in general. Um, And so I really got to have some big lessons about like what goes on in the world. And then some lessons I was completely oblivious to until much (laughs) later in life. Um, But it gave me, a lot of independence. Um, one of the things that I love to do was to try to find um, a place that I could live that was not like the tip of the model house where they have like 15 people living in the house. but one or two of us would go out and try to find like an a, actual apartment to rent that wasn't being rented back to us from the modeling agency. And so it gave me an opportunity to dive into other cultures. Um, and to really feel like I was a part of a community and meeting people who were actually from wherever it was that I was living. So I just really got to see how similar we all are in all the different places that I lived, right. Is that there was a commonality that I started to notice between people that we have the same fears, Um, we are all wanting the same things. We all want to be happy. We all want to be safe. And so it was a very unifying experience for me for those years that I was, um, that I was modeling.
0: And how many years did that end up being? Um, it was about
1: seven years.
0: Thinking, you know, what we hear a lot about the modeling industry, about it being like very Caddy, it can be. I, I don't know if that's true. That's just like what it can be placed on that. Did you experience those sorts of things? And just like how was it for your like personal well-being and your self-confidence to and wondering if, if the unfortunateness of your high school bullying like somewhat helped you because you were like prepared for, you know, to put up with all sorts of different people and sort of it, still be able to keep it, your peace?
1: Yeah. I didn't associate a lot with the modeling crowd. Right. So this is like one of those things of not being in the model house. Right. And being in an actual apartment with a friend. It's like you kind of separate yourself away from the whatever was would have been going on. I actually had absolutely no experience, whatever what that would have been. It really was get the phone call from your agent, she gives you the addresses of where you need to go. You look on the map, you figure out where they are, you come back home, meet with your friends and, you know, hang out at home. So I didn't really have that experience. What I did um, feel, though, is that it was an extension of this idea of not being worthy. Like, right. So the bullying was the one thing. And then the worthiness of being in an industry where you're constantly judged by what you look like right. By what size you are, or, you know, being told that, oh, your lips are too big. Your skin is too dark. You look too ethnic, whatever the case may be. So all of these uh, different things started to play into um, me really just deciding to kind of take a stand as to who I was and helping me to discover who I was and to just live in that, um, knowing of who I was boldly and then kind of not caring. So it kind of went to the opposite direction of I'm claiming who I am. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. That this is this is what it is. And um not allowing myself to feel fearful about being bullied or being told that I was not worthy in some way.
0: And did that happen that like seeing like that you needed to claim these things for yourself? Like, did that happen during the modeling career where it's sort of, you're starting to like go, you know, they're telling you these things and maybe they started
1: to get to you. Yeah, 100%. So it was just like, everyone had this idea of like, oh, you're supposed to look like this. Your hair is supposed to be this way. And then I just said, no, I'm cutting all my hair off. This is how I'm showing up.
0: Oh, so even to that, like you back then did that and then were just like, or oh, yeah. would they try
1: to put wigs on you then? Yeah. So it started with like, oh, you have to have a weave and you know that this model is really popular. You kind of look like her. So we're gonna push you as this. And it's like, no, I'm me. I don't want to look like someone else, or or like the version B C D of this other person. So I'm showing up as me. And if people like that, then that's great. If they don't, sorry. Wow. Not work as much as anybody else.
0: So then, yeah. So that's like a real, like feels like stake. like I was going to say staking a claim. I don't know. That, like of like, of, you know, like even more, it's like, if you yourself are like, okay, I'm this and I'm not going to change. But then like you went as far as to cut your hair off and then, you know, would not, would you not allow them to like, be like, Oh, well we can hire you and we'll put this wig on you or something like, would they try to do that as well? Yeah, well, I wouldn't even
1: go to go with a wig on. Got it. So I, I had wigs, you know, if I needed to have a wig, but I wasn't going to show up with the, the wig on. I was showing up as me. So most of the time people, you know, sometimes the imagination doesn't go so far. It's like you have to kind of walk in exactly how they're picturing the person. And so it was just a very interesting experience. And, um, you know, It definitely I feel like mostly the travel, learning about who people were and how similar we all really are. And then just being able to kind of come into my own, you know, growing up to a certain degree um, really helped me to shape uh, a foundation of who who I was. But I had had so much further to go than that.
0: Yeah. No, but that just strikes me as being so. Yeah, just like such a big thing, and it it reminds me totally different when. But when I was in my very early twenties, I wanted to be a live sound engineer. Like that was my biggest dream, and I was like working for free at House of the Blues in Chicago and like making it happen. And so not getting bullied, but most of the guys would be like, "What does this girl think she's gonna do?" And every day, like touring crews came in, and so every day they'd be like, "What is this girl?" So even though the people that were local knew me, so like every day I was being you know, like objected to like, yeah, right. And I found at the time this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that was, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that like was my like, you know, guideline for years. And both of my daughters have the middle name Rose to represent that because like for me, that was like, so sort of like a, I didn't shave my hair like, but it was like, that was me like constantly having to show up. Like no one can make me feel inferior without my consent. Like I'm here, I'm trying to make this happen. And everyone's trying to be like, get out of here, girl, like (laughs) young girl. And so it made me just stick to that. So, but yeah, you going there with the hair feels like a whole different thing. Did you, And getting to that too, like, did you have like a moment of like a big, like low or of like a really like, was there one call or something that was really hard that made you like get to that point? Or was it just everything sort of like piling up?
1: No, it was, it was a gradual thing. It was just basically like, I don't like having a weave. (laughs) I don't like having extensions. I I feel like I look good with my hair short. I'm going to cut my hair short and I'm going to wear it natural. And at the time, that was not something that people were doing. People were not wearing natural hair and being featured in magazines for the most part. Um, there was very very much a kind of Eurocentric um, idealism for beauty for Black women. So um, it was definitely going against the grain.
0: And so what, um, where did you end up navigating away from modeling? Was there something that you came to in your life naturally was it just like time to try something else like what was next in your path
1: um next in my path um and this is a story I've told um a few times but essentially I had I was in South Africa and I was sitting on a balcony kind of watching the sunrise and I had a moment of extreme clarity which I would say now was almost like a moment of dropping into like a spontaneous meditation without actually trying or knowing anything about meditation. And from that moment, I was led to a few books from a friend. And when I read those books, one of them was way, the peaceful warrior. Um, And so that started to shift my perspective, perspective started to shift my perspective about, Life and everything that I knew about synchronicity and the way things worked. Um, and shortly after that, I lo- I was I lost all of everything that I owned while I was in South Africa. It got stolen, and that was the moment where I decided that I was going to stop modeling, and actually move towards something else that I was interested in, which was filmmaking. And so I left modeling. And I went to intern um, at a film company that was owned by a friend. It was just like a little startup film production company. And from there, I moved from that company to another company where we built the company from four people to like 40. And um, I spent like 15, 16 years um, in production as head of production and development at a couple of different. Um, independent film companies and produce like 40 movies.
0: Wow. And were you in South Africa on a modeling job or were you?
1: Yeah, I was there on contract for a modeling job.
0: Oh, okay. And then you happened to be there and everything was stolen. And just that was like sort of a wake up call to.
1: Yeah, it was one of those things where I had already been thinking about um, what I was going to do next. And I knew that there was, I didn't want to be um, kind of still modeling and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I knew for me, I didn't want to still be modeling, you know, at a certain age. Right. Um, and then I think I had, um, I was doing a editorial shoot for, uh, cosmopolitan for South Africa, cosmopolitan and the person, the, the girl that they paired me up with on the shoot was 13. I remember thinking, okay, she's 13. And then I was watching kind of what was happening because her mom was there. And I was watching just like what was going on with her as a 13 year old. And I was like, okay, it's time for me to start to like, move, think about what I want to be doing next. And then my stuff got stolen, and I already had this awareness of way the peaceful warrior in the back of my mind. Um, so I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and then so film production, and what was this? you ended up doing that for fifteen years? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yep. And how? Yeah. What was that like starting something? Or had you been like exploring with that, like for fun in your modeling years or sort of just like then starting over interning?
1: Yeah, well, not really. I mean, I had been exploring more from the idea of filming every location that I was at. So I had 18 millimeter camera. I had a 16 millimeter camera. I had my 35 millimeter camera and I would just film and take pictures wherever I was um i've always had a love of documentaries um so i had in the back of my mind like oh maybe one day i'll make a documentary and walking into the film business it was again very lucky for me because i joined a company that was owned by someone that i knew this person did not know anything about filmmaking at all so it was literally like you know me and him I was the one who was reading the scripts and he was the one who was like financing, you know, the company. And so it was really, um, trial by fire. And so because I had such a kind of love for reading, um, from being an introvert for all those years, I was lucky enough to be able to find three scripts that I really liked. And those scripts wound up, um, getting made through um Sony and that kind of allowed me to move up and find another job where I actually had already proved myself that I could find scripts that were worthy of actors signing on to them and studios um putting up money to make them and um that was how my career started
0: wow so yeah and what is that what job did you keep throughout the years? Was that sort of the same role that you played, or what did you end up?
1: No, my main um job that I held for the longest amount of time, probably i'm going to say maybe twelve years um, was head of development, so I would find the scripts and then I would package the scripts with the actors and directors, and then I would work with the directors um to work on the casting and figure out the budget with the people in the budgeting department. And so I produce movies for, you know, from like 90, whatever, to just six or seven years ago when I got out of the business.
0: Wow. I love that. I just like getting into details because again, I'm just thinking of people listening there and it's just like, I just think it's fun to, it opens up so many possibilities, right? Like I didn't know that's where part of your journey was going to go. And so whoever's home, you know, whatever, it's like, I don't know. It just feels like it breathes life into so many different ideas. And like, what? Yeah, sure. Like, pick up scripts and like you figured out what worked. And I'm sure it was so much work. And so like, you know, like everything's work and that, but just it's still, I don't just you made that happen and like putting yourself out there. It was work
1: and, and it was fun. And I was willing to put in the work that was required. Right is that it's like I had an opening that was really um, coincidental, and I stepped through that door because it was something that I was interested in doing, and then, you know, I worked for free for an entire year while I was doing that and while I was learning um and it was all I you know was doing was sleeping, eating, and drinking, filmmaking, memorizing the names of every director and every movie and watching every. You know, film and all of the different things. So, um, I feel like if you put your mind to something, and that was something that I learned from my parents, you put your mind to something, you can make it happen. You can do it.
0: Yeah, and that's what I've felt in that same thing. Like, yeah, I worked for free for a year as that sound engineer that they kept trying to send away as a stagehand, like intern girl, and then. Yeah. And then was touring the world with Grammy award-winning artists. But like, it's like, and yeah, so many things. It's like, you have to, like, if you want it, then put, yeah, do the work. And you'll
1: eventually get paid what you're worth. But you got to like show up and do the work first. Well, yeah. I mean, you you also have to be willing to walk away if you're not being paid your worth. Yeah. I've had that situation as well.
0: Totally. I feel like sometimes, though, in the like very entrepreneurial promotional life, you know, and like charge what you're worth and stuff like that, that a lot of people like right out of the gate are feeling like, you know, like, oh, I can't take clients for free or do this. But I'm like, well, if you've never done that thing, maybe you need to like do some low paying or free things in order to get that credibility, like that sort of thing where I feel like people are just want to automatically jump to I'm worth this.
1: Well, I mean, I think you you have to um, be able to be, you know, excellent at whatever it is that you're doing. And just because you take a workshop one weekend doesn't mean that you can go and teach the thing the next weekend. And charge top dollar. Right. Because, you you, like, you, really you are someone to... of high
0: worth, yes, but maybe you don't need to charge that much, right?
1: Well, I mean, you know, look, there's all different kinds of ways in which we can talk about that. And, and life experience has a lot to do with it. Um, but I think when you're in a more structured corporate environment, we know that Black women get paid less. We know that women in general get paid less. So when you find out that, you know, you've, someone's getting paid more than you and they're doing the same job, you need to speak up. Absolutely
0: to that point. Yes, I was talking to a different point, but I'm all for you. Bring- I know exactly what all you're like, saying, but I'm all for you also bringing up that point. And yes, I've done that as well. So it's like I've done the work for pre-free. Let me prove myself. Let me get in there and then demand what I worth. And then also, wait, why did this person, this guy, get paid this much? Or <laughs> yeah. all the things. <laughs> It's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief interruption since I'm talking to Tracy today and her book is called Radiant Rest. I felt like I had to tell you about my favorite thing to rest, recharge, release, let go, revitalize is my infrared sauna blanket. It looks kind of like a sleeping bag. You get inside of it. I wear long pants, long sleeve shirt, socks keep water nearby, and I lay in it for 45 minutes to about an hour while I'm watching an awesome show or listening to an awesome podcast and sweat, 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 sweat. It feels so good. You've probably you know, seen the infrared sauna booths. Those are awesome too, but this is something you can roll out on your carpet, put on your bed, roll it up and put it away easily. So it's something Easier to have and more affordable. They also have an interest free payment plan. It helps me so much. I have fibromyalgia, so I have a lot of different chronic pain, and it helps just from like driving long distances, sitting for a long time when you're not feeling that great, but so you don't want to exercise, but you feel like you need to get a sweat in and move. You sweat so much so beneficial for so many reasons. You can check out more about it if you go to bit.ly backslash Joy and it says all about it. That's my link. You can also use the code joy75 to get $75 off. Like I said, there is an interest-free payment plan plus you can save the $75 with the code joy seventy five feel free to DM me and ask me any questions about it at Your Joyologist. I seriously, I've had mine for two years now. I use it a couple times a week. Sometimes I end up using it like daily when I'm really not feeling great. And it helps me so much, helps me sleep, helps me have energy. It's like, it, I feel like I've changed into a superhero almost after using it. <laughs> so check it out. Link is in the show notes as well, but go to bit, B-I-T l y backslash joy sauna, and you'll get taken right there. You can also DM me directly for the link and use code joy 75 for $75 off. Let's get back to the episode. So what ended up getting you, where did you end up leaving film or what came into Because obviously I know yoga Nidra is a big part of your thing. Now, where did that sort of, while you were hustling and working in the film industry, did you start to get into different things to like serve your soul, take care of yourself? Like where did the path start to go?
1: That's a great question. So, you know, luckily my path started with yoga. I would not have found or even known that that door was opening if I hadn't had that moment of spontaneous meditation in South Africa and from that that is the thing that began my interest in kind of esoteric practices like meditation yoga and so i started doing yoga right when i started interning so it was a very it, it yoga for me was the foundation that allowed me to grow my career
0: and at what um back then to What Was that like, you went to a studio, you started, you know, DVD, because we don't probably have online yoga. (laughs) I'm trying to think (laughs) of like, you know, like, how did you get introduced to yoga? Was it a friend or you just walked by or starting to feel like after like having that moment, like wanting a deeper connection?
1: I wanted a deeper connection. I walked into a yoga studio. I didn't know anything. The woman at the front desk said, you're a beginner, go to this, What? go to the class to the left. I went to the class to the left. It was the Kundalini yoga class. I fell in love with Kundalini yoga that moment and uh, practiced Kundalini for probably four to five years every day, five days a week um, until I discovered there was such a thing as Hatha yoga. And I had no idea until I went into another class because my class was canceled. And I was like, what is this? This isn't yoga. I haven't been doing this. Um, <laughs> oh, it's
0: so true. Like, I- Remember when I first started doing yoga? And it was just like I—it was because my gym had yoga, and then was ever like that. So you think like that's what yoga is. It's like whatever your first introduction is. These days, it's different with Instagram and social media. They're like, yeah, how fool. But yeah, no, I get the same way. That's that's hilarious, though.
1: Yeah. So that that's what happened, and um, and then eventually I learned about the Yoga Sutras, and when I learned about the Yoga Sutras, that really shifted everything because I was like, oh. I don't think I've been practicing yoga at all. So let me go back to the yamas and the niyamas and let me try to find a teacher who can can help me to understand the promise of yoga as it's being talked about in this translation, as little of it as I could comprehend. Um, And so that was really a foundation for me to first of all, become more confident because I was extremely introverted. And also to be able to really start to trust my intuition. You know, so my career kind of took a big jump forward just by trusting my intuition um, in a situation where someone was talking to me about a screenplay that they had that they wanted to get made. And um it was at the, we were in Dubai at the opening of planet Hollywood when planet, I don't even know if there's a still a planet Hollywood, but planet Hollywood was, had opened in, in Dubai. And we, a few of us from our company were there and we were scouting at the same time for a movie that we were making about Egyptian racehorses with Patrick Swayze. And, um, so someone that I met at, at one of the parties, and I'm always the person like in the corner kind of watching everything happen around me, um, came up and started talking to me and telling me that, Oh, he's got this script and the script is, uh, you know, he started telling me what the script was about. Cause I told him where I work and, you know, I was like, wow, well, this sounds like a really cool idea. I should get a copy of the script. And so I got a copy of the script and, I did not know at the time that this person was um, Bruce Willis's brother. And so I said, I like the script. I think, you know, you should come to my office when we come back to L.A. and we should talk about like making the movie. And we had a meeting with the person who was um, head of the company. And we wound up deciding we were making this movie. And then after we made the deal with him, he told us that, oh, by the way, my brother's going to play this other, this part in the film. And so it, it was a great moment because it was nothing that anybody was thinking about. Like we just read the script. We loved the script. We wanted to make the movie. And then we wound up with, at the time, one of the biggest stars in the world in this movie. And so I say that to say that yoga helped me to be able to find my voice to be able to be more confident, um, to also know my worth. And that was really just the beginning of kind of my yoga journey, like, you know, five years into practicing yoga and um, really being able to see a shift in how I was thinking about myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I make up being in that position. Yeah. You have to, really be able to trust you're reading these scripts and be like, what's, and have the confidence to like, what is worth me bringing this to people, right. To bring on whether the actors are selling it to the, like all these people, you have to be the, like, this is it. <laughs> so you have yeah, to like be you, trusting you, your instinct. Yeah, of what's you're good.
1: Walking into Your boss's office and saying, Hey, you know, I think you should spend X amount of dollars on this movie. <laughs> you, you have to be confident and you also have to be able to have a sense of what might work and what wouldn't work.
0: Yeah. So then, so yoga was something you kept as part of your daily life throughout the whole time you're in the film industry. And then did you start to like dive more and more into it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I brought yoga into the office. Um, I brought the principles as I was learning them and understanding them into how I was working with people. Um, it started to shift the types of films that I was looking at making. It started to shift the kind of marketing that I wanted to see on some of the films that we were making. It led to me um, leaving that particular company and moving to another company. And really being able to kind of tune in to what I was feeling in the atmosphere, <laughs> so to speak. You know, sometimes people are more interested in in making money than they are in making something that's good, or that has the potential to shift uh, the way people think. And so that became more and more important to me. And at the same time, all of my um, vacation time I would use to do yoga teacher training. Oh wow! Or to go on yoga retreats. So. I would, you know, sometimes we would have these like three-day workshops and I would leave work early, you know, on a Friday or do a three-day, you know, yoga retreat, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come back. Um, But that's where all my time was being spent. And I eventually decided that I wanted to open um, a donation-based yoga studio. And so I did that and had no intention of teaching, but eventually... One thing led to another and I decided, well, I own the studio. I live above the studio. If people are calling in sick, I'm the one who's got to fill in. So let me do a teacher training so that I understand a little bit more about yoga. And I found um, a teacher training that was with a teacher that I really liked, uh, really respected and had really profound experiences with. And so I did my teacher training and once I actually started teaching on a regular basis. So I started like a 6am class so that I could teach in the morning and then go to work. Cause I, Cause my you're office still was right in around,
0: industry, just, I'm still in the film industry. I love business. yoga. I'll, why not open a yoga studio? That's well, I'm guessing you saw, especially donation based. You saw a need for 100 a different type yeah. of space where
1: yeah, I wanted a space that was inclusive, a space that, um, it was, it was small. So it was, you know, it was very sustainable. Um, but I wanted to have a space where people could feel welcome because I knew that I had been in spaces before where I was not feeling welcome as a black woman who was practicing yoga. Um, I also knew that there were spaces that my friends could not go and, uh, you know, to yoga three times a week because they were too expensive. So I wanted to make it accessible for people. And so that was really a a game changer. Once I started teaching, I was like, you know, there's more effect for good that I can make as a teacher sharing these practices than I can by making another action movie. And since I don't have complete control over every single movie that I make, you know, I can have certain control over a few things here and there that I can put together and, you know, make something that's in alignment with my beliefs and with the message that I want to send out to the world. But overall, as a producer that works for a production company, oftentimes you're kind of assigned projects as well. Um, And so that was really the beginning of me kind of feeling like the future for me was going to be teaching yoga full time. And maybe there would be one movie every, you know, seven years or something. If something came up, that was absolutely amazing.
0: Wow. So, yeah, your intention was not, I am going to be a yoga teacher, like, and open this studio. Like, you saw this need for this space based on your experiences and based on your friends and what was available locally. And then, oh, I'll just get certified <laughs> in case I need to fill in. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to walk in and teach a class without being certified. That was not going to happen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then you start to teach and start to really feel like, oh, this.
1: Yeah. Because you can, you know, the, you see the immediate difference and if people continue to come over time consistently, you get to see the changes over time, not only within yourself as a teacher and as a practitioner, but with students that you're working with. Um and so there were many many profound experiences. There's many um of the same people that would come to that studio over a decade ago that still come to classes with me even online. And I think that that's because first of all we all have a a bond because that time was really special. And two, because the practices work. You know, if you do the practices, they will work. They will affect change. As someone
0: who's been describing herself as an introvert, that um, starting to teach, how was that for you? Did it feel natural or, you know, because you had been doing yoga for so long, probably at that point, or is there still this like fear of who am I now leading this class?
1: No, it didn't feel natural. It felt, um, you know. So back in the day, when I first started teaching, as I think many teachers do, you're demoing in the front of the room, right? So it's only when you really divorce yourself from being attached to the yoga mat and doing the demos that I feel like you move into a different realm of teaching, and that took me a long time to to do because it was a safety net for my introversion. So I slowly had to kind of make my way um, out of doing that and just become um, a teacher that was seen in a different way and allowing myself to connect with the students in a different way, like really connecting with them because I'm not demonstrating all the poses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like, I know. So yeah. Yeah the difference if the teacher, you're at a yoga class and the yoga teacher stands at the front the entire time and does the flow or does the practices with the students. Yes, they are looking at you likely and they are, you know, giving cues, but they are also standing up there. Whereas you're saying moving around the room, you're guiding them with the voice. you're
1: You're connecting with them. And then also, you know, letting go of playing music in class. Because that's another distraction, at least for me, it was a distraction and, a, and the safety net of keeping almost like, you know, an invisible sheath between myself and the students. And so being able to let go of using music, let go of demonstrating, using my words, connecting um, was a real, it made a real difference in how I was teaching. Yeah. And also why I was teaching, so.
0: Yeah, I was like, as you were describing the, like, taking the music away, too, then I was sort of, like, feeling these, like, layers fall away, and, um, yeah, I can't remember what it was, but I, I had Tara Stiles on before, and she said something, yeah, like, very interesting. Oh, I think it was when she does her teacher trainings, uh, like, that she has each person sort of, like, guide the class, like, not using words, just their bodies and that how that made them drop more into like the body instead of like, what should I be saying doing this? Like this, like putting up these walls of like, I am a teacher and what am I supposed to look like? I don't know. That kind of reminded me of that.
1: Yeah. And that, that's very similar to what um, I would teach in my yoga teacher trainings would be actually you standing at the front of the room and instructing the class without moving your body and only using your words and descriptions to be able to um communicate clearly what it is that you that you want from the student.
0: Yeah, I remember years ago I did a teacher training and that was the way that yeah, it was like the idea was to not be demonstrating but to be the guiding
1: and that was like so yeah, it felt so scary like <laughs> yeah, cuz when you're when you're demonstrating then you're you're setting some sort of like uh you know i don't want to say a rule but you're giving someone a visual of what it what they think or what you even think it's supposed to look like and all of our bodies are different we're all going to feel into our bodies in a different way so it's interesting so then how
0: how did that evolve. And also, oh, wait, I, you, you mentioned something too, that it was sort of like showing you, like reminding you of like, yeah, what you want to, how you want, to, I don't know what you said, but it was, I wanted to ask you, like, do you know what I was How
1: doing? I was teaching and what I was teaching. Yeah. And why I was teaching. Why? And the, yes. And the why, why that you're constantly <laughs> being
0: reminded of why you're teaching. So
1: yeah, I wanted to ask Yeah. That was. The why was really about transformation. You know, it's the, the practices that I was being given um, by my teachers were very transformative and they didn't require a lot of asana. It was mostly meditation, relaxation. And so um, I started to shift how I was teaching because of the experiences that I was having.
0: And how did that go? <laughs> I'm like, I'm <laughs> guessing that's probably you know, people interested about that, but also, I, uh, you know, a lot of people like, what, what, what? You're taking like less asana.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So I, in the beginning, I would teach um, very difficult asana. And then I would do um, a deep relaxation and then end with meditation and chanting. And so, yes, there were definitely people who fell off. And we're like, no, I want 90 minutes of, you know, whatever, whatever. And then there were other people who felt the subtle um, potency of some of the quieter practices after, you know, 30 minutes of asana. And that was basically the beginning of me being able to develop my voice and style um, and authenticity as a teacher. But I was also lucky because I was, I had a job, right? So I was I had a second job. I had a job that was making oh you were I, still I was making a living, right? And so it allowed me to actually be able to cultivate an authentic voice as a teacher without the fear of losing students, because that's always like the thing when you're teaching yoga full time and you're, you're learning something new or you're called in a different direction and people are used to something, sometimes it's hard to make that shift. So you have to do it little by little incrementally, um, so that you can continue to make a living.
0: Right. Because yes, you're getting, well, if, if people stop coming, if I start doing this way, then I'm not going to. Yeah, some people get paid by headcount, right, in classes, and then otherwise by classes. If I'm not going to be offered these classes anymore at these studios. Oh, yeah, the layers of like people wanting to like transform and then having to also pay their bills.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that part of the pandemic has helped yoga teachers to kind of take more um, authority over the classes that they teach and to have more. Reach because we're doing everything on Zoom. And so it's, you know, if we can get the word out about what it is that we are teaching, there will be people who are going to be resonating with what we do that we don't even know who they are and they show up.
0: Yeah, that is true. It's a a benefit of everything being on Zoom. (laughs) So you were at this time, we're still working full time.
1: Are you still in the film industry? (laughs) Or when did you end up leaving? I left the film industry uh in let's see it was about seven years ago full like fully left I still have you know one could say that I'm attached as a producer on a couple of projects like passively if they ever get made, you know we'll see what happens um but I'm not actively out there producing uh feature films um my focus is entirely on um, teaching the transformational practices as I understand them. And as I've been given them and as I've experienced them um, to people as much as I can.
0: And did this, was it just a natural progression of more with the yoga and the yoga studio taking on less responsibility in the film and then going there or
1: No, there were some, you know, I I opened a second studio moved out of L.A. I basically started my own film production company. I made a movie. Um, I also got divorced. And in that divorce, I needed to come back to L.A. so that I didn't go bankrupt. And I came back to L.A. and joined another company that was um, had the intention of making um, movies that were going to raise consciousness. Um, And so I was with that company for a couple of years, um, but really missing teaching yoga. And there wasn't really an opportunity to kind of do both. Right. So um, I decided to move on from producing full time and moving into doing yoga and teaching yoga um, full time. And did your
0: studios stay going? During that whole so time, so the
1: studio, so the studio in LA, um, we closed it when we moved to Northern California, and then when I got divorced and came back to LA, I kept that studio open um, for a while, and then eventually sold it. But it was, yeah, it was in Northern California and you mm-hmm. were back Yeah. LA. So it was, it was literally almost impossible to keep going back and forth.
0: Got it. So when you moved back and then created, like realized you were missing it and did that change, it wasn't like you had your, your own studio to fall back on and all of that already existing. It was a total. No, change.
1: no, it was literally like, okay, I'm going to start teaching and I'll teach on the weekends and start creating programs. And then I, um, because I had been teaching yoga teacher training since 2004. Um, So I basically started my yoga teacher training in LA. um, And that was a 10 month program. So it was really great because every weekend, once a month, I was teaching. Um, And then I had a couple of classes that I was teaching in studios nearby. Um, And so that was really how it started. back in LA to kind of come, um, back into teaching full time. And that was, it's just like coming home.
0: But yeah, you had already had the built in the
1: teacher trainings that probably
0: then help. Cause yeah, I've talked to other, and I have friends that are yoga teachers and it's a challenging thing to, for many people to stay yeah, financially sound if they're only teaching mm-hmm. yoga classes it, they're, or they're teaching yeah. like 40 classes. Like, yeah, right yeah. now, that's probably impossible. But yes, when studios were all open all the time, like crossing uh, town uh, to teach three classes a day in different places. Were, so you already set up where you didn't have to go into it like that? Or was it to...
1: Yeah. And I would, that's not something that I would have done because I did see that a lot of my friends and teachers were driving all over town and really exhausted and not able to do their own practice. Um, and so because I had my teacher training, it made it a lot easier. And one of the things I think that is, is unfortunate. I think this is changing, but that in yoga teacher training. There's really generally not a business module that's very effective for the yoga teachers, for them to understand how to run their business, quote unquote, of yoga to help them maintain and sustain a living while they're doing the very thing that they love and being able to stay authentic to um, their practices and to keep up their own personal practice. It's, It's very hard.
0: Yeah. uh, I have a friend and past guest, Katie Brower. She's based in San Diego, but she's made, you know, pretty much like her, she's been a teacher and done teacher trainings for years, but she's made sort of created her own business for the last several years. That's her focus is like serving yoga teachers and other in that to like teach them how to, you know, actually be able to like create themselves in a business and like, you know, have their integrity and want to show up and do these classes. And, uh, also like, Get paid and <laughs> do these different things. So, where did the idea for your book come from? Was that something you had within you, or like someone else brought the that idea
1: to you? That's a really good question. So, you know what I would say is, um, I never thought about writing a book about Yoganidra. nidra. Um, it's been my beloved practice for a long time since it was introduced to me almost twenty years ago. Um I was actually in the midst of writing um, my book proposal and sending out my book proposal for um, my memoir slash practice book. And I had, you know, I love manifestation rituals. So I sat myself down and i I checked in with a couple of friends who are writers about publishers. and then I came up with this list of. And publishers that I would want to publish my book. And I wrote it down, I did this little ritual. And five minutes after that was over, I had an email in my inbox from my current publisher, Shambhala. And they were asking if I was interested in writing a book on Yoga Nidra. And I was like, well, no, I'm not interested really in writing a book on Yoga Nidra because there's so many other books that are amazing on Yoga Nidra. And there's people that are writing books on Yoganidra, but my memoir and my, everything that I'm doing right now has a chapter on yoga nidra. Um, and they, they, the person who had reached out to me, she said, well, if you could just sit with it and think about it and let it simmer. And I said, okay, I'm going to let it simmer. And if I am supposed to do this, I will get some signs that I'm supposed to do this like really concrete signs. And I was on my way to Whistler um, to teach at Wonderlust, And I was teaching a yoga nidra immersion. And after the yoga nidra immersion was over, there were about six or seven people who came up and asked me if I had a book on yoga nidra. And it was the first time that anyone had ever asked me that. So I was like, this is very bizarre. It's like, I'm being asked this. You're like, are you being paid by Shambhal? (laughs) Did they send you? (laughs) And then in the next week, a couple other people asked, and I said, okay, let me think about what unique thing do I have to offer as far as my understanding of this practice is. And I started to write down what my unique understanding and how the practice had blossomed for me Um, And how I was using the practice and how it was empowering me and how I was also seeing and interacting with people um, that were practicing yoga nidra in immersions or teacher training. Um, And what was I learning from that that I could share that would be helpful for people? Um, I felt like it was important um, when I was writing this list that it be a book that anybody could pick up. And really, just receive the grace of the practice, which is you know the thing that bubbles up after the practice is over, is that you you are left deeply rested, whether or not you're using it as a practice of spiritual transformation or not, which it is at its deepest level. Um, and so, after I wrote all those things out, I was like, "Oh, this is the beginning of the book proposal." and so I Finished the book proposal that day. And then I sent it in to Shambhala. And then we worked out an uh, agreement for me to write this book based on what I had sent them. And so it really came from the heart and, and really from the fruit of my own practice, as opposed to it being a textbook about Yoga Nidra, even though there, you know, we do talk about what Yoga Nidra is. Um, it's really a way for you to weave uh, the practice and practice in general throughout your life from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep and even in the dream state so that you can really rest and be supported by practice. Not just when you're in the studio or in, on Zoom or on your yoga mat.
0: Wow. What a story as to how that came to be. And how would you describe for people who have never heard of yoga? I was about to say, I'm
1: like, no. (laughs) It's yoga, yoga nidra.
0: Yoga nidra, because I want to just say nidra. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's nidra. Nidra. Yoga nidra. (laughs) So if somebody has never heard of that, how would you describe it?
1: Yoga Nidra is, has often been uh, translated as the yoga of sleep, but we can think of it also as a state of consciousness that is a place of deep, deep rest that allows you to taste your true nature and beyond. And so what I would say to someone who has never done it is that it's, an, a, it's a very accessible practice because it's done lying down. and it's done with your body being fully supported, and you are systematically guided into a place of deep relaxation where eventually you can rest in spacious awareness. So it's really the deepest form of relaxation um, that is very close to sleep, yet your consciousness is remaining awake and aware.
0: And this is so something a, you can practice at any time of. The day. It's not like, let you, me go. Yeah. Take you a can nap. practice
1: it. It's- yeah. You can practice it any time of day. I, my practice I do in the morning. Um, I know many people who practice in the afternoon and I sometimes practice in the afternoon, like in the summers. Um, some people use it because they have insomnia and so it helps them to fall asleep and, or it helps them to sort of replace the sleep that they missed. Um, So it has many different uses, um, but at the, at the deepest level, it's a practice of awakening.
0: Love that. I felt more restful just hearing you talk about it. (laughs) 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 And so are you still planning on uh, writing the memoir?
1: Yeah. So the memoir is is in, it, it's happening. Um, and, but first we've got to get Radiant Rest out to the world. It comes out on March 9th. Oh, so.
0: it's still not out yet. Yeah. It's coming so it so soon. It comes out March 9th. I'm,
1: Radiant I'm Rest. I'm supposed to be getting all of my copies soon. Um, and, you know, for your listeners, we actually have a coupon. If they want 30% off of Radiant Rest, they can go to Shambhala's website and they can use the code RR30 to get um, 30% off. So my, my focus now is teaching yoga, sharing yoga, practicing yoga, learning more about yoga, <laughs> and writing and sharing from, from those experiences.
0: Awesome, and I just, the title Radiant Rest is, I just love it so much. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like you just buy the book and just look at the title, <laughs> like, yes, open the book and read the book. But I'm like, just having that there doesn't, it just feels like more expansive in my life. Like, ah, radiant rest. Like I have permission because we're so like, that's a great hustle, word. Those go. are two great okay.
1: words that you just use expansive because that's what the practice is. And sometimes we need someone to give us permission to be able to know that it's our birthright. Cause it is our birthright for each and every one of us, just like the breath for us to be able to deeply rest. So it's important.
0: Yes. Um, oh, and the code that you gave that can be for pre-order and once it's out, or is that just for pre-order?
1: Um, it's for pre-order and also, um, it'll last for a little bit while, And the first I'm not sure exactly when it ends, but definitely when it's out, you can still use the RR30 code. Got it. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to get to
0: the questions I ask everybody. The first is I'm going to pull up an image. These are phrases that I I have a product line and these are all phrases that go on keychains. Oh, cool! And I ask every guest to pick not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel they would like in a re- like as a reminder in their life every day, and why. Because then I will send you the keychain. Oh, that's that's even better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say I choose joy, and why is that one feeling like the one you want to be reminded
1: of? Yeah, you know, choosing joy. Um, is an act of resistance, especially in the times that we're in now with all that we're facing. Um, And so my joy, I understand and I know is something that is eternal within me. And it's my sacred right to experience that on a daily basis. So I choose joy. Yes. Thank you for
0: that whole thing you just said there. <laughs> it's so beautiful and powerful and true. <laughs> um, I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So maybe a habit, a way of being that you fall into. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. Well, what I can say is I'm going to just rephrase it for a little bit to say that what's best for me is self-effort because I don't believe that anything comes without some self-effort. So we can go back to the idea of interning for a year, right? That's a form of self-effort that allows you to be able to move towards the thing that you want or your goal. Right is just being able to allow that self effort to be a little bit of the friction that allows transformation to happen. I'm not sure that transformation, although it can happen by grace, and that that generally has some preparation happening, but it can ha- it can descend by grace. But most of us, I know, for me, I've needed to have self effort, um, and so just remembering self-effort without it being a grind without adding the toxic grind culture overlaying that um and really just refining uh what it means to practice
0: yeah i love that and i believe for sure self-effort because i can see there's definitely been times in my life like my father passing away suddenly created a big transformation in my life so that could have been grace but also no, because I chose to make huge changes in my life mm. based on you know, so yeah, I think mm-hmm. there's probably always self-effort, like even if life hands you this big thing transformation. Well, and you, you have to choose. be you step- have to choose though. Yeah, you, you have choose. To choose. You're stepping through the door that has been mm-hmm. opened for you or cracked open. Yeah. So I see that. Um, oh, what is a go to to raise your joy levels?
1: Mm. Hiking in nature. Gardening, anything in nature, going to the beach, doing yoga nidra in the sand, anything that has to do with nature is going to just elevate my joy. Yes.
0: I love that. And it just, even just stepping outside when you're like, I don't have time, just stepping outside and looking outside, like looking at the sun, like helps me or looking at the sky. Okay. The final thing is the name of the podcast is claim it. The meaning of that is because I feel so often we're chasing, like, oh, I'll be worthy enough, lovable, successful, fulfilled once I do this, have this. You know, we just keep chasing these feelings. And so I believe we can claim those feelings for ourselves every single day. Sometimes we need to do it every moment of the day. <laughs> what are you claiming for yourself right now?
1: Mm. Right now, I am claiming my birthright of joy of deep breaths and of being able to have access to practices that lead me back to my true nature.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's been so great to learn about your journey and your path and all they're up to and the whys and yeah, the way that you speak to it, just um, thank you. Yeah. You just speak with so much uh, clarity and space. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what just came up. <laughs>
1: I'll take those two. Thank you, Trisha. It's been a pleasure, first of all, to meet you and to be a guest on the podcast. Wonderful. Thank you.
0: Wow. Isn't it fun to get into people's whole journeys? And aren't you more interested in yoga nidra? I'm still hesitating when I say it, yoga nidra. Um, I really am. Like, Who doesn't want to feel more restful? So again, you can go to shambala.com backslash radiant.rest. But I'll just have the link for you in the show notes and use the code RR30 to get 30% off her new book, Radiant Rest. You can pre-order it, which by the way, pre-orders are really, really awesome for authors and help them, um, you know, just like get the book more. On those, like lists and analytics and all that stuff, algorithms and all those things. So, always awesome to pre order a book if you are interested. Um, for full show notes, go to yourdryologist.com backslash podcast. And you'll find all the guests there with links. Feel free to DM me if you have any questions. Uh, Tracy, everything her is at Tracy Stanley and Tracy is spelled with two E's. Oh, no, not Tracy Stanley. Tracyyoga.com is her website. And she also has radiantrest.com. Uh, I'm everything me is at your Joyologist on social media and your dryologist.com. I love hearing from you, why you're listening, what you loved, even like what you want, what would you like more of? Ooh, I am a growing, evolving pe- person, and um, I realize I am not the perfect podcast host and speaker. I am gr- growing and learning and evolving as I go, <laughs> and also trying to enjoy it all, because I do love having these conversations. So anyway, I love your feedback. You can also email podcast at yourjoyalgist.com. And if you haven't yet, subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and then screenshot it and email it to me. And I'll send you a gift from my product line, just like I have every guest pull a keychain. Maybe I'll send you a keychain, a journal, a notepad, an ornament. a magnet, a wine glass, a mug, you just don't know. For full products, go to shop.yourjoyologist.com, and um, yeah, make sure to download my daily inspiration app if you haven't already. It's called Own Your Awesome in the Apple app and Google Play app stores. Hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations to empower your day. Final thought, what are you claiming right now? What are you claiming for yourself right now? Feel it, claim it, maybe say it out loud wherever you are. I claim joy.
1: (laughs) All right, thank you so much for listening.